0: This week's episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. Embark on the next step of your digital transformation at futureloo.com.
1: Flyover Future is a weekly newsletter covering corporate innovation, startups, emerging technologies, and a whole lot more. And you can get it in your inbox every week when you subscribe at flyoverfuture.com. But with this podcast, we're sitting down, talking with people, making big changes in places you may not expect. And coming up on the show today.
2: So I started in statistics. Mm. Actually, before, even before that, I spent one year in the political science uh, uh, department, but uh-huh. I, I couldn't put my mind on two of those books. Couldn't. And uh, what happened is that in Rome, the, the university, the department of political science, the dad of statistics were neighbors. So I just, the the entrance You go <laughs> straight, you go to political science, you turn right, you go to statistics. And so I turn right once.
3: As the son of a longtime political science professor... I'm trying really hard not to make a joke about turn turn right for lies, <laughs> turn oh, left for truth.
2: That, that was a bad thing. That was a bad thing. I wasn't even thinking about that.
3: That plus
2: kidney
1: donation, electric cars, and puppies. It's all straight ahead. So uh, go ahead and tuck that carry on under your seat. We're getting off this runway and into the air. Cyber Futures Innovators podcast brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. And featuring me, my name is Brian Eichenberger. I'm your producer and editor and the host asking the hard-hitting questions. That's Ben Reno-Weber. Thanks, Brian. So we talked last week uh, to Dr. Sharon Carrick from the University of Louisville. And I know our two guests today hail from the university. So in a broad sense, before we get started, what can you tell everybody about the attitude toward innovation over at L?
3: I think it's a really exciting moment at UofL where you're really seeing a regional university come into its own. Uh, You might have seen that UofL recently set a record for the amount of research funding it received in a single year. Wow. And across the university, you're seeing really great work being done. And I think even more importantly being brought to the market in different ways. So it's a really exciting time to be in the city of Louisville with this anchor institution really starting to build up steam. So tell me about
1: Lodi. That's an acronym we're going to hear a lot uh, during this interview, I believe. And
3: uh, it it, logistics and wait, tell me what it is. So Lodi is the Logistics and Distribution Institute. And our guests today are Dr. Louis Bai and Dr. Monica Gentilli. And logistics and distribution might seem boring, but for Louisville, which is within 500 miles or a half day's drive of 50% of the U.S. population and one day's drive of two thirds of the U.S. population, logistics is a huge part of our economy and a real competitive advantage with the rest of the country.
1: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. Weird side note about that is that I've spent a lot of time in my career interviewing comedians, which... Doesn't this is a little different what we do. It's here. rubbed
3: off. Clearly, it's rubbed off.
1: I, I will actually tell you though that there is a, a amazing similarity here, which is especially in the mid-90s, there was a boom of comedians moving to the Louisville area because of the exact same thing you're talking about, the driving distance to the rest of the United States. So unless you were headquartered out of LA or really wanting to hit the West Coast, you could do much more being here because you can get up the east coast and down all within a day's drive so who knew that stand-up comedy and uh (laughs) logistics
3: yeah well and with that i'm so excited to have louis and monica here
2: ben thank you so much for this opportunity hi ben hi brian it's a pleasure to be here thanks for uh for inviting us
3: So to get us started, can you all tell us what's the most exciting thing that you have seen recently in the world of data and AI?
2: This is Monica. To answer your question, I can talk about one of the projects I'm working on right now, which I'm pretty much excited about because of the impact that he can have. And uh, it's all about data in this case, and uh, it's related to uh, organ donation, in particular to uh, kidney donation. I don't know whether you are aware, but uh, uh, currently to have uh, a transplant, a kidney transplant, uh, the median wait time is about four years. And uh, yearly, there are almost 5,000 people dying while waiting for a transplant. And this is due because there is a huge gap between supply and demand, between people who donate organ, and people who are in need of organs. So Mm -hmm. this is why these huge numbers. So this is a very important uh, topic where there is a lot of research going on in order to understand how to fill this gap. Uh, For kidney um, special, uh, you can donate a kidney uh, even when you are, uh, even as a a living person. So, and outcomes, uh, of a transplant, when the kidney is donated from a living person, are even better than from deceased donors. Hmm. But the number of living person who are willing to donate is not huge. So the main question that uh, in this project uh, uh, we are trying to answer is how can we increase this number of this the number of people who are willing to donate. Um, And the way we are trying to solve and to understand this is we want to understand the motivation. Why do people donate? Or also on the opposite side, why don't people donate? What are the main reasons? You may want to donate because usually uh, you want to help your child, you want to have a friend of yours, and you may uh, not be willing to donate because you are scared of what the consequences on your health would be or also from a financial perspective right because in order to donate you need to take time off of work and uh, usually and generally there are not financial aids to cover for that time so uh, we believe that understanding these main motivation for donating and for not donating would help a policymaker or whoever is in charge of ed- even education activities to promote um, activities in order to educate people and order also to incentivize people to donate. And uh, how do we do that? How do we understand yeah. these motivations? Is uh, on one side uh, one normal and one easy way is why don't we ask people who donated organs? So we are interviewing past donors Uh, we are doing surveys on past donors trying to understand that but also and this is where the huge amount of data is coming in we are looking on the web People talk on the web, so there are blogs related to this, and there are even comments on newspaper related to organ transplants, who are posted on, uh, from people and give their opinion. So we are mining these data from the web, and we are trying to apply machine learning algorithms to categorize them. Was this comment positive? Was this comment pro-transplant, pro-living donation? Was this comment against living donation? What are the motivation inside this comment for that kind of position? This is very interesting to me. It could have a lot of impact. And uh, we are a team of computer scientists, uh, data scientists, of medical doctors who are all working together to achieve this goal.
3: And I love that this starts from a place of, let's think about the logistics of kidney distribution and then gets into psychology and natural language processing. That is one of the coolest things I've heard. Dr. Bai, how about you?
0: So the coolest thing that I felt like was, um, you know, as a researcher, uh, we're always constantly looking for creative ideas. You know, what are the new ideas in the next 10 years to do things? And apparently, Artificial intelligence can actually do that for us. Um, so uh, two researchers from Austria, um, you know, they recently published a paper about the predicting the research trends. This really is to identify what will be the new innovative ideas, not human involved, but actually using a semantic network and the neural network. Uh, What they did is they um, put together a big database of about 750,000 papers, all published uh, peer-reviewed journal papers. And then they started a neural network uh, where the node would be some new concepts, uh, you know, new ideas uh, out of each of those papers. And then if two concepts, if two nodes, you know, as we know, the network, you have nodes, also you would have a link. So the two nodes would have a link between them if the two concepts out of the papers are concurrently being investigated in the new in a different research. Uh, so that way they 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 Whoa. establish a network. And then using the neural network and the semantic network, like you just mentioned, the natural language uh process, so they're able to have the ability to say now if two nodes which represent two different concepts had not been linked before what if they were linked what is the likelihood that's going to have a, a, a greater impact would lead to a great uh, research ideas so along those nodes they also of course they would uh, differentiate a different type of papers some papers are you know prize winning papers breakthrough works and then so through the neural network, they're able to somehow predict if two concepts are linked together, what would be the breakthrough? So what's the impact of that new idea? So by doing that, they're able to uh, create you know, customized out of a box ideas for the researchers to consider. So to help humans to come through all the literature with a abundant list of papers. Uh, so they're able to a little bit easier you know more easily to identify you know what are the promising new ideas so that's really fantastic to me i think that's more cool than what i could tell you about my own machine learning algorithm which i'll save for the next time okay
3: well i definitely want to hear about that too you've blown brian's brain away i can see listeners can't see this but his <laughs> face is like what are you i mean this is this is the when people talk
1: about Are the robots coming for us this is what they're concerned about right like at at what point are we are they going to start saying like here are the good ideas and here are the bad ideas
3: oh see i i hear that that in exactly the opposite direction like this is a problem that humans just can't solve right i've been working with the university of louisville and actually other universities around how do you engage businesses and academia And what I hear out of this is, oh, not only can I connect academics, but I could connect businesses who are like, listen, I'm looking for an innovation around this. And, you know, we're just not able to do that right now with that because of the volume of language involved. Uh, Would one of you take a moment to explain what it is that, that you all do and how you came to be?
2: This is a great opportunity for talking about Lodi, uh, the Logistics and Distribution Institute, uh, which is a, a university institute, which is uh, dedicated to improving the practice of logistics. And we do this both from a research standpoint and education standpoint. So we have our PhD students and also master's students who are working uh, to study more efficient solution to existing problems but also new solution uh, for emerging problems because maybe new technologies are coming into place but on the same time uh, our students get experience working on a real world problem because we have connections with industries and with industry, and so they also have a more hands-on project to work on, so that they will be ready to get out and work uh, when, once they are finished with their study. I want to emphasize the fact that uh, LudI is a multidisciplinary research institute, and in that regard, uh, in line with this, we have uh, numerous. Uh, number of uh, faculty who join uh, Lodi as affiliated faculty and work with us on several projects. And these uh, faculty have different backgrounds. They are uh, from medicine, from urban planning, from uh, uh, social school. Uh, You know, for
0: example, uh, one project that I'm working on is how uh, a public utility companies like LGE, e for example, uh, would uh, like to lay out a public uh, electric vehicle charging network so that people's uh, charging activities can be really convenient for them. Convenient for them. Um, so, as engineering lead, so we did a lot of optimization model, location model to select the location. Also, the capacity planning in each selected site, how many chargers are going to be so that you know the, the service level for the EV users can be uh, high. But there are a lot of real-life implementation as well. So I was collaborating with uh, Dr. Zhang from Urban Planning, who has vast knowledge of uh, econ- economic development, um, real estate, as well as uh, the GIS system. So uh, we would recommend certain, uh, you know, certain locations, and then she would go use a lot of population-based analysis, economic-based analysis, real estate, and see if if the the location that we selected is real is really feasible in the real world, and also whether that will attract you know businesses and giving just different layers of consideration from urban planning perspective
3: so one of the things that i think is a constant worry and concern as we think about the coming data revolution is how do humans fit in but what i hear you saying is that there's there's some really essential human components that interact with the machines
0: the human aspect uh, in this particular project I just mentioned, it's more of you know, how do we bring the engineering solution, which you know we use the two key engineering tool. One is called optimization model uh, to recommend the sites for electric vehicle charging station. The other is to use a simulation to simulate the charging activity at each site roughly how long people would experience waiting time in there Um, but what brings the human or the business aspect is dr john would look at uh, within say 20 mile radius of that site how many local businesses are there so that therefore when people if it's an urban setting it's a little easier but if it's in highway people would be uh, up to you know stop there and then have maybe 30 minutes of time or just a break and then do the EV charging? And also, what is the prospective of business development? Not just what's currently there, but is the population on trend? Is the real estate development on trend that we see, even though currently this is not a top five business development area, but in the next five years, we see an upward trend. So therefore, this would be a good selection for the site because they see the future of the business development.
2: Yeah, and uh, from my perspective, uh, uh, when you have, in order to successfully uh, adapt to this, uh, what you call data revolution, um, you need to be able to handle the data from diverse angles and human. Uh, role in these cases is is important. On one side, you need to have IT people who are able to uh, keep the systems operational, to keep the servers running, basically to keep all the communication channels always working. But on the other side, you know the data uh, have a lot of information, but you need to be able to handle, to manage the data, to gather this information, to gather all the patterns that these data have inside. And once you have this information, how do you use it? So you need to have skills to be able to meaningfully use this information. So from our perspective, we use optimization mathematical models, which are able to, use this information to reallocate resources where the data show that there are inefficiencies in the system.
3: So you guys have mentioned some cool projects that that your cross-disciplinary faculty are working on. How do those projects come to you?
2: We need to distinguish between those which uh, we call research projects for which we do not have uh, an industry pr- partner right away, but we have, uh, as I mentioned before, the project related to organ donation. We have a uh, an hypothesis in mind, uh, which, uh, if true, uh, which we want to uh, to verify. And so, in that case, uh, the project kind of uh, uh, is started from the faculty and uh, who gathers the team and the necessary skills, and uh, to put all the team members together. From an industry perspective instead, uh, it's uh, both ways. Uh, We uh, kind of reach out to industry saying, hey, we are here, we can help, this is what we can do for you. But also uh, knowing Lodi industry also uh, contact us uh, um, to solve. Sometimes they come to us say, hey, I know I can do better Can you help me understanding how I can do better and where there is need for doing better? Sometimes, some other times they just come to us with a precise idea in mind of what their problem is. And so we help them finding a possible solution.
3: Can we talk about the From Pallets to Puppies project?
2: (laughs) Yes, Uh, how have you heard about that?
3: I just, you know, I do a little Google stalking before these, Shows, I, I want to hear about puppies.
2: That was one of the f- most fun projects we have done. Um, and that actually started with Humane Society calling Lodi because they knew there were they had a problem, or at least they could do better what they were daily doing. Uh, so the Humane Society called Lodi because their daily operation is basically they need every single day to decide which puppies which dog which animal to transport to transfer from the center location to uh, the nine shelters they have in louisville and they were doing that just manually and based on their own experience but if you think about it uh, the way you transfer animals i mean inf- uh, affect their Probability of being adopted, so because the demand is different from region to region. So they were feeling if we, if we have a lot of data if we can understand how to optimize our um, distribution of animals over the shelters to maximize their probability of being adopted. We are saving more uh, animal lives, and so. Uh, w- the fun part was that we were there, we saw a lot of puppies, and we saw the shelters and the location. So we had to interact with them. And uh, we actually asked them uh, what their daily operations were. And so we translated in numbers and in mathematical relationship what their experience was. And so we come up with a mathematical model with a software which was easy for them to use every day. And so uh, they've been they've used that uh, for a while. I don't know then with COVID what happened, whether they used that. But uh, basically, yes, we were able to uh, optimize their their uh, matching uh, pro- daily process.
3: Can you talk a little bit about some of the common problems that you're seeing as you're working both with researchers and in industry? What what's what's transcends different kinds of companies or verticals?
2: there is always industry and company always collect data but sometimes they do not have resources and time to meaningfully look and analyze this data so sometimes they just come to us hey i have all this data can you just clarify because these data have a lot of information which are not either able or we are not uh, we do not have resources to analyze so this was the case for example of a company who contacted us is an oil oil distribution company which uh, collect oil from different leases and they they collect a lot of data but uh, they never analyze them and they wanted to know the cost-effectiveness of, of each of the lease. And so they share one year of data with us, and we were able to kind of give them a ranking. This is uh, this is more productive. This is uh, um, more costly. This is uh, where uh, the trade-off is for each of the lease. But on the other side, they also, uh, to send out people who go to each lease and check the quality of the oil before sending a truck
3: oh yeah because okay they,
2: because if the oil is not of good quality then um the truck is not sent over but uh, each uh, each of these person this gojer, has to visit multiple locations every mm-hmm. single day and the routing might not be optimal so it would could take less time if optimized. So we use our optimization tools to give them insight of of what what their current uh, effectiveness was in this this regard. And we just compare uh, months of routing uh, of current practice with possible optimized routes and show them hey this could have been done better in this case or in other case hey you're guys you're doing fine if the companies
0: feel like uh they need some kind of assessment uh you know we could also help them as well Uh, monica just gave one example of the oil uh, company Uh, At the end, our conclusion is their current transportation uh, planning and uh, activities are already very efficient. If you have ideas for improvement, certainly, you know, we could look into that and help you to say how exactly that can be done. But also, if you're unsure whether I'm doing a good job or not, we can also help to, to do some kind of assessment.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely, knowing that you're not doing it wrong. Yeah, Uh, is is actually really powerful because I think it lets you just cross that off your list of anxieties. You know, what we have heard often uh, as we have been talking to different leaders in the space is that one of the most challenging parts of getting value from your data is organizing your data so that you can, like, you can actually start to do meaningful analysis on it.
0: The, the companies, they collect data and then they still were very surprised to see what the data reveals because, you know, if they are very much, you know, engaging in the day-to-day activity, even though the data is collected through many different ways, but really they were not looked very carefully. Uh, so they were still quite surprised, you know, sometimes learning what the data reveals.
3: Are the companies that you're working with in the logistics space, they're already pretty tuned in to the idea that they need to be using their data? Or is that still a new concept for them?
0: A lot of times is even within one corporation, you have a different formats of data, different type of databases that they cannot be reconciled. Mm-hmm. So was the same company for for their oil i mean leasing and the oil gathering is one database and then for their dispatching of of the of the trucks is a different uh you know it's a different um database so they too do not talk to each other therefore even in that research project it was it was kind of a, a little bit silo to subset uh to, for us to deal with so i, I think uh, for a lot of companies um they probably want to. Uh, make a good effort and trying to streamline their data formats so that as an organization if they want to look at things more systematically there needs to be a a little bit more unified a data platform
2: yeah i would concur with louis i do not uh, to my experience uh, whenever i have contacted the industry they really value the data and they really understand and they believe that data are powerful uh, powerful and contain information. so there is not a barrier over there. more the limitations are in organizing their data and uh, making them uniform and analyzing them. but I don't see any cultural barrier barrier in uh, seeing the value of that
3: so it's mostly that they see the value. it's just where do they go from there? Yes, yeah so can you talk a little about what you know in that space like what's the first step a lot of the people that are listening to this and and giving us feedback are saying okay i get it this is important but what do i do
0: that's a good question i think a different industry may have a different um steering committee that kind of uh, create a Uh, a standardization process but if you know like industry like you know for additive manufacturing there might be uh, some you know national level or even international level of a task force that would uh, devise some kind of policy for standardization I think that's really uh, would be the start of of this conversation Um, we were also talking to a physician yesterday um you know it's it's just practically very very challenging if we are building a big uh, artificial intelligence uh you know algorithm trying to do something with healthcare data for example L hospital data is not large enough let's say if we have a partner with clinic uh cleveland, cleveland clinic foundation right so however their data May have a different form that you know are mm-hmm. just cannot integrate those so right. that we can form a large enough sam- large enough training data for the artificial intelligence, whatever the algorithm is. So I think as the industry, um, you know, each has a different vendors, and all of those are are the you know challenges and the barriers.
2: And also, I would say that the very first step would be to sit down. And think for a moment what is that you want to gather from the data what are your goals because you cannot really collect all the data every single day maybe you 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 may you can but maybe it's not necessary so if you have limited resources you want to kind of sit down a little and and consult among the board members so whoever whoever the decision makers are to understand what are the goals and so maybe understanding how what are the meaningful data towards that
3: goal. What is it that we're really trying to do? and then looking at what are the data sources that we would need, how would we need to organize that? Do we have enough data ourselves or is this something we would need to collaborate with? Yes, that
2: is what I, I I would say, yeah. This episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of
0: Work initiative powered by Microsoft. The Future of Work initiative is dedicated to increasing economic opportunity and equity by enabling Louisville to become a regional hub and center for excellence in artificial intelligence, the internet of things, and data science. If you are a person looking to upskill into the data economy or a company ready to embark on the next step of their digital transformation, learn more at Futureloo.com.
3: I'd love to to switch over a little bit and and talk about Uh, How you all got into this space, uh, and how did you get into this space in Louisville?
0: I came to the United States in two thousand. Came from China as a fresh PhD student at University of Florida. So prior to that, my my background was uh, computational mathematics, um, but uh, numerical optimization has been what I studied uh, for my master's thesis. And then when I came to the States, I think the United States—it's—it's uh, it's different um, compared to China back then—is where optimization really is put into practical use. And then I knew that there is a area called operations research. So that's a you know a little bit more applied optimization uh, methodology compared to just numerical optimization, which. I was trained in my master's study.
3: So so you came from more of a pure math background?
0: Yes. Yeah. So and then I, of course, I studied uh, industrial systems engineering uh, in the specialization is operations research. And that study five years, uh, get me got me exposed to logistics and supply chain management. So that's how i got into and then of course we learned the core uh technical uh tools like optimization network optimization network flows and then uh integer linear programming all of those and simulations so all of those are the core are the core technical contents but they can be applied to you know not just traffic network not just transportation network but also uh you know, other uh, discipline, I mean, other domain areas, so like supply chain management. So that's how I got into the logistics side. As far as Louisville goes, it's you know i i taught before i came to louisville i taught in valparaiso university college of business i taught operations management uh, business statistics and course like that um and then L industrial engineering has you know the opportunity so that's why i mean louisville have enjoyed the city of louisville
2: quite quite very much from my side my st- Story with the US is a little bit shorter because uh, I came to Louisville in 2016, so almost five years ago. Um, I studied in Italy, so I got my bachelor and master in a University of Rome in Italy, and uh, um, that was in statistics. So I started in statistics. Mm. Actually, before even before that, I didn't even. Thought about studying statistics and looking into data. I uh, spent one year in the political science uh, uh, department and uh, did one year there, but uh-huh. I, I couldn't put my mind on two of those books. Couldn't. Uh, what happened is that in Rome, the, the university, the department of political science, that of statistics were neighbors. So I just, the shirt, the entrance, you go straight, <laughs> you go to political science, you turn right, you go to statistics. And so I turned right once and I spoke with some faculty, and this is why then I just, uh, one day, uh, the, the very the, uh, one day I was studying. Uh, sociology and the second day i was uh, uh, i was in a an analysis class and this is why <laughs> i started into statistics and then um everything goes from there because there was a, a a phd program in operations research and this is where i got my phd i collaborated with uh, ASU Arizona State University University of Arizona actually and uh, my PhD dissertation studies were on using uh, optimization models and algorithms to address problems in the field of transportation. So where do you basically locate your cameras in order to gather the most information about traffic? So I always been interested in uh, in this case after I started my statistics study I understand the power of data and the useful and how you can make informed decision using that and so uh, merging statistics and operational research seemed to be uh, the right tool for me and when I joined UofL logistic and distribution institute since uh, just the natural way to go because uh, the mission of the institute was in line with my research interests as well
3: as the son of a longtime political science professor I'm trying really hard not to make a joke about Turn turn right for lies, turn left oh, right
2: for truth. That, that was a bad thing. That was a bad thing. I wasn't even thinking about that.
1: One thing I like to do before we wrap up these episodes is something I call flyover flybys, which is where I get to ask a few questions, and Ben does not get to choose what those are.
3: Oh, I'd like to apologize in advance.
1: No, it'll be fun. I promise. Uh, so <laughs> what I what I thought we'd do today, hearing this fantastic story about choosing uh, statistics over political science, is I want to play a game called either or so I'm gonna give you two things and you both can jump in at any time and you just tell me which one you would choose out of these two things okay okay uh, up first coffee or tea coffee tea football or basketball there's a good U question
2: I go basketball.
1: football <laughs> uh, music or silence
0: music silence good job I, I I have two kids at home and there's just too much noise I prefer silence for this period.
1: Would you, would you rather watch a movie or a television show? Movie. Oh, that's the first one you agreed on. You guys are very yeah. complimentary. You're very complimentary <laughs> to each other. And, and finally, the last one, I definitely am expecting one answer, but you can make either robots or aliens. Robots. Robots. Okay, God, it kind of feels like you have to say robots. <laughs> okay,
3: well, so I, I'd love to kind of step back and ask each of you two broader questions. Um, What excites you most about the coming data revolution as this technology and these principles get get implemented across our companies and across our society? And then flip side of that, what scares you most?
2: There is one thing that is very exciting to me, but also scaring to me at the same time. Artificial intelligence is, uh, uh, is used also to make implantable, technology so microchips in your brain which uh, gather and kind of in very simple terms translate into digital signals what your thoughts are and these signals can be used to make a robotic arm to move and so this is so uh, interesting to me and powerful because a, it has a lot of impact on our daily life and uh, on every person well-being so you can substitute a robotic arm for your lost arm and you can uh, make that arm robotic arm to work just thinking about that but at the same time this scares uh, a little bit uh, me why because um it's so scary it's yeah. scary right because currently the way you interact with the machine is, keyboards or you have a touch screen or your voice, you know when you start and you know when you finish to interact with the machine. But uh, when you are using your thoughts to interact with the machine, uh, are you sure that this machine will listen only to the thoughts that you want the machine to listen? We have we have the same issue now with uh, Alexa, right? For example, I mean, we are told that she ears after you say the uh, Alexa word, but is that really true? And uh, so that's a little bit scary. And, uh, but the fact that you can move a robotic arm is not science fiction is happening right now. So uh, it's part of our lifetime.
3: Well, and I think you also bring up an interesting point with Alexa, which is thoughts versus language. And then who, you know, if we're training these bots on, certain people's thoughts or certain people's language. I mean, I had a friend over and we were trading music and she was talking to Alexa and Alexa could not understand a word she said. And I thought it was very interesting because she wasn't born in the United States yeah. and you know, Alexa was clearly not trained to understand accents in English. That's uh, true,
2: but after you train, that learns. And that is the most important fact. I mean, the more you give data, the more uh, it's trained and uh, uh, it will understand you. And the, part, uh, the fact that Alexa doesn't understand foreign accent, believe me, I have, I have experience on that.
3: <laughs> right, right. Uh, Louis, what about you? What's exciting and what's scary?
0: I was reading, I mean, it must be two years ago, um, some uh, lab at MIT, um, they're able to use just radio frequency, uh, not cameras, not sensors. People, uh, you know, walk through, even uh, if you go and then back through a wall, um, they could create uh, what they call the RF posts. So basically radio frequency uh, signals will allow them to uh, create some kind of a skeleton of that people's move that person's movement through the wall uh, this will have a huge uh, you know implications whether it's on um, medic healthcare research or some other you know tracking of abilities I mean that that's really really cool and I mean just something that we're experiencing ourselves you know right now we're able to, Gather different databases to to be able to, you know, do perform more analytics and provide better intelligence for businesses. What scares me most is, um, I think COVID really kind of. I see my kids every day. I mean, they are on the screen with virtual learning, and then yet, and then they feel like they they don't have the human interaction. So, you know, I I truly believe the power of machine learning, the power of artificial intelligence, and then the the robots can really do a lot of jobs that, you know, humans are currently doing. But at the end of the day, I think we all need social and emotional uh, support. Um, So I I think that's going to be somewhat lost uh, for for the year i mean if the artificial intelligence really takes over and i i i feel like that's a big loss uh, for our society for our kids for the future generations
3: yeah no I, yeah. I i totally understand that i also miss interacting with humans not on zoom or squadcast <laughs> or anything like that thank you so much guys for joining the show today yeah thank you this was great exactly what i hope for
2: Thank Thank you so much, Ryan uh, the
1: Ben. Can you tell us where people can find out more about the work that you guys are doing on the internet?
2: Yes, uofllogistics.org. This is where you find uh, everything about Lodi
1: great. And futureloo.com is where you find out everything about future of work initiative powered by Microsoft and our host Ben Reno Weber. And we are the story is where you find out about me. My name is Brian Eikenberger. I produce and host podcasts and am so glad that you have been part of this one. Please check out flyover future and flyoverfuture.com where you can subscribe to get that email newsletter every week in your inbox and review Talk about the show. Tell your friends when you check us out, wherever you get great podcasts, including Anchor FM, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And so for now, make sure you bring your window shades down, keep the cabin cool, and come back next time. We're always happy to have you. We'll see you soon.